According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again as we get started here in the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs. The chapter that's taking 100 years to go through is chapter 14. All right, Proverbs 14. Do I have my right notes? I guess I do. No, I have old Proverbs notes. There we go. My fault. I uh, I attempt to be kind when I share my pulpit on Sunday nights. And in my attempt to be kind in sharing my pulpit on Sunday nights, my kindness uh, removes my notes out of people's way so that it, they have space to teach what they're teaching. And then my kindness comes back to haunt me on Wednesday mornings. So, all right. I'm going to confess and get back in fellowship, and then we'll, uh, we'll proceed. Join me, if you would, in a word of prayer. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word, for your power, for your grace, for your blessings in our lives. We thank you and we praise you, Father. We call upon your faithfulness to open the eyes of our understanding and uh, lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. And so, um, if in fact this is correct, then uh, verses 23 through 24 are dealing with labor versus just talking about it. All right. Doing the work or just talking about it. And uh, as we look at it here, uh, again, verse 23 says, In all labor there is profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. The crown of the wise is their riches, but the folly of fools is foolishness. And so here's what we're dealing with. We're working or we're just talking about it. And if we're just talking about it, then we're not working. And if we're not working, then we're not producing anything. And if we're not producing anything, then what are we living on? How, how do you live without production? How do you exist? How do you eat? And this is what fundamentally comes down to, and the Bible says, if a man will not work, neither let him eat. Because uh, the, all the mechanisms of eating without working require somebody else to foot the bill. Somebody else is, is doing the production. You know? So we don't expect a, an infant to eat we don't, or to, to work or a child to work. Somebody, you know, there's parents that are working so that the children can eat, and that's to be expected. But at a point then, uh, if you're not a child, uh, how are you eating? What, what is the production that is, that is being consumed? In, uh, in an aspect there. So uh, all of this is uh, very understandable from what we deal with there. So wisdom motivates labor over talk, profit over poverty. And uh, we dealt with the verses there related to that. And then we talk about truth versus lies. And I don't think I fixed my typo here. Uh, versus is V-E-R-S-U-S. 
truth as opposed to lies, telling the truth. It's a matter of life and death. All right, it's not just simply an issue of morality and a fuzzy issue of morality. It's curious to me, of course, the world we live in, which is a fallen world, and the God of this age, which is a liar, and the, uh, how Satan is a liar from the beginning. And what does the Bible do when it talks about how Satan was a liar from the beginning and Satan was a murderer from the beginning? Why does it combine those two things? And again and again and again we have lying equated with murder, lying equated with death, and, uh, and these things are not accidental. And why does the Bible do this? And what is that tandem all about with respect to Satan, the adversary, and what he's doing against us and our service to the Lord? And these aspects here um, I think they're fundamental to our understanding of many things in, in the whole counsel of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And the issue of, of how the world minimizes certain things by the, the, uh, the uh, promotion of, well, you know, there's, there's, there's good lies, you know, little white lies. There's, there's you know, not all lies are bad. And, uh, and you might have noble reasons for telling the lies that you're telling because of whatever. You don't want to hurt feelings, for example. And of course, feelings is an idol and, and high up there on the list of <laughs> idols that people are serving. Uh, but the point is, though, they, uh, they have a spectrum where there's certain sins or really, really bad sins like murder. And then there's other sins or, eh, okay, they're not so bad. They're more fuzzy and we can be flexible and come on, it's not that bad. And, and so it's, it's remarkable to me how, how they'll even justify their sin by saying, well, it's not murder after all. Come on, it's just a little lie. And what they've just done then is they've created a kind of a spectrum from lying as a little thing and murder as a big thing, but God himself put lying and murder together again and again in, a, in an interesting tandem. And here we have truth and lying. And uh, in verse 25 it says, a truthful witness saves lives. But he who is treacherous, or he who utters lies, is treacherous. Okay, and so that's the contrast. And when you, you view truth versus lying as a matter of life or death, then you've got a personal ethic or a personal morality that lines up with Scripture, that actually is patterned after Jesus in the positive example and rejecting Satan on the, uh, on the negative example there. All right? And so that's uh, what we're dealing with. And I'm going to go through these verses and I want to talk about these things because I know we didn't have time last week. But it is curious to me, and there's a news story out right now that illustrates this. There's a news story out right now that illustrates why or what does it take for the world to all of a sudden get wrapped up about lying. Okay, Because in most cases, the media and Hollywood and, and the, just the whole leftist universe is usually pretty fine with lying. They, they actually don't mind it. They kind of invent their own truth. They kind of invent their own reality. They're kind of like living in their own world and they'll, they'll be glad to tell you that things that aren't true are true if you just want them to be true. Right? And so, you know, if you think you're a girl but you're really a boy and, but no, you're really a girl because you want to be a girl, then you have your own identity and your own you know, perceived, you can declare your own gender. You don't feel that, you know, that, you know, the doctor misgendered you when you were born because, you know, he was a sexist, racist, whatever, and he just looked at this little baby and said, well, that's a boy. And, and little did he know that you can pick whatever gender you want to be these days. Okay? 
and, uh, and, and, and you can insist that other people will agree with you and if you want to use he, she, her, you know, whatever pronouns you want, if they don't use your preferred pronouns, you can sue them. They, and they can be liable, and, and even on criminal penalties. I mean, our world, we have entered into a bizarro world in, in, in our day and age. We've lived long enough to see this now. So that, by the way, and they champion that, they champion that insanity as a pinnacle of morality. And if you condemn them, if you judge them, if you tell them, well, you're not a boy, you're a girl. If you, if you highlight that the emperor has no clothes, you know, if you highlight the reality as you see it, you're the hater. You're immoral. You have the problem, see, because you're clinging to some kind of a primitive, sexist, racist, homophobic Bible, you know, morality or whatever, and you just need to you know, get with the times and, and update yourself and, and, and don't, don't be so immoral. So this is now a cosmos morality that is exalted above the Bible's morality. Okay? Are you following what I'm saying? All right, you know that we're living in the same world, right? Okay, now, something happened about a week ago in Australia that I am still laughing about. I am laughing, I am laughing, I find it hilarious. And I don't know if you heard it, it's not gotten a lot of coverage, except outrage coverage. Um, some guy, I don't even know his name or whatever, but some guy in Australia turned 65 and decided he wanted to retire. But there's a problem. It's only women that are allowed to retire at 65. A man has to work till he's 70, okay? Which I think is sexist and unfair and prejudiced and whatever, and who invented that rule, right? But anyway, it's, it's the law, it's the rule or whatever, that's how they do it. Great, whatever. Do what you want to do. But if that's what it is, so what does he do? He, he celebrates his 65th birthday and then he files for retirement and says, as of today, I identify as a woman. As a woman, yeah. So on his 65th birthday, he decided, you know what? Hey, it's the law now. I identify as a woman. You can't criticize me. You can't deny me. You can't discriminate. I am a woman. And he demanded his retirement. And they said, no, you're not a woman. They said, how dare you say I'm not a woman? The law says now if I identify as a woman, you have to treat me as a So anyway, he's using their own insanity against them, right? And I say, good for him, okay? Spotlight this idiocy for what it is. Now, they're suing him. He's counter-suing. It's a big fight. And I'm just laughing and laughing. I think it's the funniest thing in the world. Because this guy's a genius, you know? I would love to meet him and shake his hand and buy him a beer or buy her a beer, whatever. And <laughs> I just think... Now, here's the thing. The, 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 the most recent thing was they were interviewing um, one of the officials and the official was outraged. He says, well, this person's not really trans. He's lying about it. He's telling a lie. And, and, and that lie is immoral. The lying is immoral. And so, yes, it's legal, and yes, we have to pay him, and yes, we're going to lose in court, but it's still immoral that he's telling those lies. And really, are you telling me now that lying is immoral? I've been 
For 30 years now, lying hasn't been immoral, but only in this case now, lying is all of a sudden, lying is immoral? Really? You know, but being trans isn't immoral, or being homosexual isn't immoral, or being a crossdresser, or being a transvestite, or being a, you know, that long list of perversions you're telling me is perfectly immoral. But now this guy who wants to retire five years early and is gaming the system and showing you guys for the buffoons you are, you're telling me he's immoral? Okay? So, I'm just laughing. I'm loving it. I think this is a hilarious news story. And, uh, and I say good for, him, good for him or good for her or whatever. Good for it. Her. Yeah, good for her. She can retire at 65. And then when he's 70, he can go back to being him again and, and keep his retirement going. I don't understand why you can even have a law like that anyway. Why can you have women retiring younger when they're going to live longer and the men they're going to live shorter why do they have to work longer and they just to me that's just the dumbest that's the that's the most confusing part of the whole story you know that's even more confusing than trans people all right so again we're looking at proverbs 14 we're talking about truth versus lies a truthful witness saves lies well how can you save a life by telling the truth easy okay teach the word of god for a while okay and understand too that the word lives is the word for souls and you can save an awful lot of souls by preaching the word of god and denying the word of god damages souls and we see this again and again and again how much soul damage is done when uh, the truth is compromised how much soul damage is done when um when preachers compromise on what the word of god says and when they try to twist it to say what it doesn't say and so there you have it. All right. Uh, previously in verse 5, there was something similar. A trustworthy witness will not lie. A false witness utters lies. So we've already dealt with truth versus lie earlier in the chapter. But here we see the urgency of it. And we see the life versus death aspect. Communicators of the Word of God must be absolutely truthful in communicating absolute truth. Right? There is absolute truth. Absolute truth exists. And uh, it's only, you know, again, God-hating, Bible-denying, uh, moral relativists that try to live in a world where there are no absolutes. But that's, uh, that's not the real world. There are absolutes. Absolutes do exist. And uh, so let's look at uh, some of these passages we didn't get to. I, did, I know we hit First Timothy and Ephesians, but let's look at, at Ezekiel. Join me over in Ezekiel chapter 3, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And this is an obligation for a pastor, for deacons, Bible teachers, for parents, anybody, if you're teaching the Word of God, it says what it says, you can't duck it, you can't hide from it, you can't compromise. And particularly if, you know, it's a family or it's a loved one and it's, I know it's hard and you want to because you love this person. But they're sinning and the Bible says it's a sin and uh, you're not saving their life when you're lying to them. You're, it's uh, destructive. They're engaged in self-destructive behavior. The Bible says it's self-destructive. Preach it. If not, God's coming at you because you should have preached it. So in Exodus, Ezekiel chapter 3, um, in verse 18, although the paragraph starts in 16, looks like, um, at the end of seven days... Um, well, let's just pick it up there. At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman.
to the house of Israel. So this is about being on the alert. This is like our thing last night, right? Sheepdogs, you're on the alert. Be a watchman. To the house of Israel, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. And that's a a clear prophetic function. This is what a prophet would do. This is what any Bible teacher would do. Because when you're studying, you're getting a message. God's blessing your study. He's opening your eyes. You're, You're putting the material together. This is from the Lord. So warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him, that's a problem. If the Bible says this is a sin, and you don't say that this is a sin... This is a problem. So when I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live, well, guess what? That wicked man shall die in his iniquity. Have you solved anything? Have you accomplished anything? You covered him. You you told a lie, and it didn't change a thing. God's word stands. God's word does what God's word says. That person will still die in his iniquity, but notice, His blood I will require at your hand. Wow. Okay. In other words, it's imputed to your account. In other words, you're the accountable party. You're the one to whom it's reckoned. The blood is on your hands. You know where that expression comes from? The blood is on your hands. Yeah, a murderer. So if you're responsible, maybe you didn't do the deed, but it was your actions that was responsible for making it happen. The blood is on your hands. Okay, I think this the school thing in Florida, the, the, there were policies in place that were put in place for insane liberal mindsets. They had a policy there where they were not referring certain students to police uh, agencies for a criminal record. And because, well, why? Because the, the uh, Obama administration and the Eric Holder Justice Department they wanted, the, the numbers were looking too ugly and they said, we want better numbers. There's too many, there's too many uh, uh, minorities, there's too many blacks, there's too many Hispanics, there's too many, and there's not enough whites that are, that are uh, getting criminal records in our high schools. And, and that's a problem. And, and so how did they fix the problem? They stopped reporting to the police agencies. And so they, they, they didn't report assaults. They didn't report things. They didn't report. So what they they ended up doing was they ended up getting better numbers. There were fewer, uh, you know, fewer. They didn't want people to graduate high school and have a criminal record, right? Okay, that's admirable. But if they are, if they have criminal behavior, don't you think they need a criminal record? And so you get this kid and hey, guess what? He has no criminal record. He passes a background check. He buys a bunch of guns which he couldn't have bought if he had failed a background check. Okay? Anyway. So, dumb idea. I could have told him it was a dumb idea, you know, ahead of time. After the fact, we can be a bunch of I told you so's and say, yeah, it was a bad idea. They're still doing it. They're still manipulating their numbers. It's just sad. So, what does that illustrate? When the school shooting takes place and those 17 kids are dead... And the politicians, these genius wizards that are playing, you know, they're playing Sim City with real cities. They're, they're, they're just doing this. It's like they're, they're trying to, they're world makers. They think they're bringing in this better world. And their policies are destructive. The blood is on their hands. 
The blood is on their hands because they didn't want those kids to have a criminal record. See, and this has been going on since Trayvon Martin. He should have had a criminal record. But they were doing deferred adjudication so that they wouldn't get criminal records. Anyway, that's, that's the goal related to that. So if the blood is on your hands, like when your cell phone rings in church, <laughs> the blood is on your hands. All right. Let's look at... No, no, that's all right. We love you. Okay. Um, I'm looking at... Where am I? I'm in Ezekiel still. Okay. So, His blood I will require at your hand. Now today we use it as a metaphor. Today we use it as a figure of speech and we understand how it's truth. Back then it was literally true. The prophet was required. They physically put people to death. Right? Samuel chopped up Agag into tiny little pieces. I think, the, I think an Old Testament prophet was a brutal, a brutal office. Yet, 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 verse 19, yet if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. Now guess what? The outcome is still the same. There's still consequences to sin. And you were faithful, you taught the truth, you preached the truth, you gave the warning, you said, and they didn't listen to you. All right, well, you've washed your hands now. Your hands are clean. The blood is not on your hands anymore. You gave the warning. You gave the warning. They're still going to die. But, so he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle before him, he will die. Since you have not warned him, he shall die in his sin, and his righteous deeds which he has done shall not be remembered but his blood I will require at your hand. So when you fail to speak the truth, when you fail to communicate the warning, that's an issue. However, if you have warned the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. And you, and on top of all that, you saved him and you saved yourself because he took warning and you have saved or delivered yourself. Okay? And this is our phase two deliverance, phase two salvation. We're talking about in time and working out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're talking, I'm not talking about getting eternal life and becoming a believer. We're talking about warning a believer. He's already a righteous man, but you're warning him against those sin issues. That's a phase two salvation. So that becomes critical. Uh, that happened early in Ezekiel's ministry. It happened again later in Ezekiel's ministry, Ezekiel 33. So, I mean, maybe, uh, maybe when you're a young man and you're full of fire and vinegar and you love preaching and yelling at people and warning them about the sins they're doing or whatever, well, then maybe later in later years when you're older or some time passes and you just kind of mellow out or you get tired or you become less confrontational or for whatever reason in later years, if uh, you want to get a little more sloppy, lenient, um, whatever euphemism you want to use, you want to compromise, and that's wrong. Compromise is always wrong, okay? And so again, we have a warning to the watchman. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, if I bring a sword upon a land and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman. And he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows on the trumpet and warns the people. Then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning 
and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood would be on his own head. Okay? Idiot, didn't you hear the horn? What was that horn about? Okay? He blew the trumpet. The watchman was awake. He blew the trumpet and you ignored it. That's on you. That's on you. You, The Lord was there. God sent the warning. God has sent the watchman. The watchman was faithful and you ignored it. That's on you. Okay? It's like Sharon and I were in Kansas City and this siren went off at two in the morning. We didn't know what it was. Well, evidently in Kansas City they have tornado warnings. They have uh, they have these sirens to warn the neighborhood, to warn the and we're, we're from Texas, what's this? You know, we're, we're traveling and we're in a hotel and, and you've got a custom here that, that we're not accustomed to. So, so anyway, we called down to the front desk and, you know, are we in trouble? <laughs> what's, the, what's this siren about? What, tell us what it's about. Well, it's a tornado warning. Okay, well, what do we do? <laughs> I said, well, well, we're keeping an eye on it, but it's, it's, it's a mile from here. It's going away and you're, you're fine. So just go back to sleep. Yeah, that's easy. We'll we'll just go back to sleep, okay? Anyway. So when the pulpit committee uh, from Kansas City says, Are you interested in Kansas City? And uh, no. <laughs> you got you got sirens and tornadoes and all right. So now I got an illustration for Ezekiel thirty three three for the rest of my life. Or there we have it. Now but what happens if you don't give the warning? What happens if... Uh, so in verse 5, he heard the sound of the trumpet, but he did not take warning. His blood will be on himself. But had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. Yeah, that would have been the better thing to do. Okay, Had he done it. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, now it's on him. Okay, And the people are not warned and a sword comes and takes a person from them. He's taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. There's accountability for the one that God expects to give the warning. And so it's spelled out there. This is chapter 33. It even goes all the way down through verse 9. As for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if you on your part warn a wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your life. It is a matter of life and death. Speaking the truth is a matter of life and death. And if you avoid speaking the truth because you don't want to offend somebody or you're embarrassed or it's awkward or it hurts feelings or it creates tension in the family, well, hello, this person in unrepentant sin creates tension in the family. Speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. Because if you don't, they still come under divine discipline. And now you line yourself up for divine discipline. You're the watchman. Why are you not speaking the truth in love? And that's the background there. All right, Acts chapter 18, New Testament. New Testament. Acts chapter 18. So... um, 
Silas and Timothy come down in verse 5 from Macedonia. Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Okay, And, and now you understand what this means right? If you don't have the background of the Old Testament, if you don't have the background for uh, the accountability, but he says, hey, I've washed my hands, I'm clean. Shake out your garments, dust the, you know, shake the dust off your shoes and move on. He shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. So he taught them the truth, they wanted no part of it. All right then, it's on you, you've been warned. You've heard the truth. Um, and there it is. And so, you know, at what point, once you've made your position clear, once you've told your family member this is not honoring to the Lord, this is defiant, this is, uh, this is not the, the lifestyle, you call it alternative, God calls it abomination, this is not uh, pleasing to the Lord. Once you've made that very clear, do you have to uh, preach it, you know, a hundred times in a hundred days for the rest of your life? Or is it a dust off your feet and uh, washing of your hands and you've had the truth, okay? Come back when you've repented, come back when, you've, when you want the truth, you know how to find the truth, and there you go, and you let it go. Say, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, I'll pray for you. How about that? Okay? All right. Because if you keep casting pearls before a swine over and over and over and over again, they're going to turn and trample you. They don't want any part of that. So you give them the truth. They know where you stand. Your hands are clean. Come back when you want the truth. So that's uh, Acts 18. Acts chapter 20. In his farewell message to the Ephesian elders. He'd been there for three years, and uh, now he's passing by again on his way where he doesn't know if he's going to die or not. He says, I may never see you guys again. And uh, this whole farewell message is, is, is powerful from 17 on down, but um, the key verses here are 26 and 27. He says in verse 25, uh, Behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day. Um, I want to back up. Let me back up. All right, verse 18, the beginning of his speech here. You yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Tears and trials, all kinds of things. He's not specific here, but we know it included multiple imprisonments. He was jailed um, frequently, he says, and he faced lions. He, 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 he says in, in Corinthians that he faced lions at Ephesus. Here it's called tears and trials through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Notice he doesn't say popular. He says profitable. Big difference. And much that's profitable is not popular. Like much that's nutritious is not tasty. All right. 
much that's tasty is not nutritious. But if you're feeding up a nutritious meal, there you go. Are you going to be teach the truth to your flock? Teaching you publicly and from house to house. So there's the public message and then there's the house to house message where it's more personal, it's more private. We're, we're engaged, we're involved, but we're still teaching truth. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he does not compromise doctrine ever. And they can testify to what he's taught. There should be no question. There should be no question at all. Okay? All right. So if you get accused of teaching something and you know you didn't teach it, good thing you got a website. <laughs> MP3 is just sitting there minding their own business. And there it is. Now, um, so now he's ready to go. He's ready to die. He wants to finish his course. He says, I don't know what's coming up except that bonds and afflictions await me. The Holy Spirit tells him that, verse 23. He says, but that's all right. I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself. You know, physically dying, that's not a high price to pay compared to other things that are of greater value that I might finish my course and and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And so now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. So therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. He could totally sleep at night washing his hands saying, hey, I taught them everything they needed. I didn't duck anything. I didn't hide anything. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel or the whole purpose of God. See, that's why it's on the front of our church bulletins, right? It used to be. It's, uh, it used to be. All right. It's uh, the whole counsel of the Word of God. That's our purpose. That's our method that's our activity that's our objective maybe it's on the website anyway teaching the whole counsel of the word of god we're not ducking anything we're not afraid of any book of the bible we're not afraid of any chapter any verse if god revealed it we're accountable we got to preach it and so he can wash his hands and then he says be on guard for yourselves now why do they have to be on guard for themselves because they're now the teachers. They're now the elders. They're now the new, the new, you know, Paul's not coming back. They got to do what he did, which means they have to teach the whole council, which means they can't, they have to teach everything that's profitable, means they can't compromise. They can't start ducking things. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, how do those savage wolves come in? And how do those savage wolves not spare the flock? By not speaking the truth. The truth saves lies. The lies are destructive. And how do they do this? And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things, ducking from the truth, twisting it, saying, oh, it's okay. God's good with that. Oh, that was old-fashioned. That was primitive. That's all updated now. Come on. You know, we can eat pork now. Leviticus is no longer valid. 
You know, so we can eat pork now and all those sexual laws, that's all done, that's all. You see how insidious this becomes? All right. So therefore, and what do they do? They speak perverse things, drawing disciples away after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years that do not cease to admonish each one with tears. Yeah, ministry hurts, especially when you get accused of teaching things you never taught. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Teach the word, you never go wrong. Stay in grace, you never go wrong. The word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Sanctify them in truth, thy word is truth. All right. So communicators of the Word of God must be absolutely truthful in communicating absolute truth. You can't duck, you can't hide, you can't run, you can't compromise, you can't change. We proclaim God's Word. We're not, we're not co-editors. We're not called to rewrite it in, in our image to, uh, to, to change some of the expressions as we would might prefer because, no, it says what it says. It says what it says. And that's the the background there. Now, we did already read these, but I want to reread them now that we've had the background from Ezekiel. We've had the background from these uh, earlier passages. So now maybe uh, Ephesians 4 and 1 Timothy becomes a little bit more vivid. Ephesians 4. Are we going to speak the truth in love? Because what does love do? What does love not do? Love doesn't lie. Love rejoices in the truth. Love does not take pleasure in wickedness. And that's why it's so insidious when people justify their lies and they use love as if it's a cover. They say, well, I want to be loving. No. You're redefining love while you're justifying your lie and God hates both. So Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Okay? So I don't want to say it's unpleasant. Grow up. Speak the truth in love. Growing up means you've got to say the unpleasant things. You've got to do the unpleasant things. So grow up and deal with it. Speak the truth in love so you can grow up and so they can grow up. How about that? We all get to grow up. And if you love them enough to tell them the truth, you'll do it. All right. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. If you lie to your brother, you're actually hurting yourself. We're all members of the same body, right? If one member suffers, we all suffer. So why are you inflicting harm on your brother by lying to him? You're actually harming yourself at the same time. 1 Timothy 4.16 the scriptures have power verse 11 says prescribe and teach these things let no one look down on your youthfulness but rather in speech conduct love faith and purity show yourself an example of those who believe until i come give attention to public reading of scripture to exhortation and teaching do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you all right through the prophetic utterance with laying on of hands by the presbytery. That was spectacular. Can you imagine? That doesn't happen today. But can you imagine in the, in the charismatic age of the, of the early church with apostles and prophets and, and you know, they didn't even have a New Testament yet. So how did Timothy know he had a gift of pastor-teacher? 
Yeah, there was nothing in the Old Testament that was going to tell him he had the gift of pastor-teacher. So in the early days of the church, when the, the apostles were laying hands and, and the, the prophetic gift would come and utterance would be made, behold, this young man is a pastor-teacher. And so, okay, here we go. Start training him and take it from there. Anyway, we lay hands on Pastor Dan, and that's an ordination ceremony, and that's a, it's, a, it's a ritual and a ceremony, but there's no, um, there's no superpowers that are being bestowed upon him. It's not like you know, the Roman Catholics have this apostolic succession where if you get the right kind of ordination with the right kind of priesthood in the Roman Catholic dogma, then you have the, the vestment, that's, uh, you have the empowerment that comes, and now you're a bona fide uh, Roman Catholic priest, and now you've got the superpowers that come with that, which means you can absolve people of their sins, and you can assign penance, and you can assign, uh, you can magically turn bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ if you know when you uh, use your superpowers. Anyway, it's, it's I'm tongue in cheek, of course, speaking ironically um, or sarcastically. I guess that's better. Um, I'm fluent in both. The uh, the but the understand when we do the laying on of hands. We're not conferring any power or any kind of mystical thing. It's just an identification. All right. Um, and then he says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Your progress will be evident to all. And that's, that's the way it works. If you're in ministry, you're under a microscope and folks are watching you and they're watching you make mistakes. Especially when you know, you're young and making the, the stupid mistakes young people do. Or then when you're older and you make the stupid mistakes that older people do. And, and every human is going to be making mistakes. Every pastor is going to make a dumb choice. But you watch how he grows from it, how he learns from it, and there you, there you go. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching persevere in these things for as you do this you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you you see see what that's about now you see how that connects because you're warning them you're you're washing your hands you're you've given them the warning you're saving yourself because you've given the warning and you're saving them because you've given them the warning and they can learn they can grow that's why you don't want to lay hands on a man too hastily 522 says this. Even uh, backing up a little bit, um, verse 17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. This shows us where to prioritize our budget and how to allocate the, uh, the uh, blessings that are provided for the Bible teachers. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages that's important that's from the gospel of luke and that's called scripture there in verse 18 do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses elder is going to be accused all the time satan's going to accuse elders daily just to stir up trouble in a church so uh validate everything with two or three witnesses those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning if the elder needs to be rebuked, well then, you've got your two or three witnesses and he, conti- and, and he continues in his sin. In other words, he doesn't respond to the rebuke. Well, the pastor's not immune to discipline. He's preaching heresy. He's preaching, he's, uh, he's got this sin thing going on. And he won't repent of it. 
and then rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. The rest what? The rest of the elders. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and His chosen angels. Maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. And that's what happens. When you don't give the warning, you're showing partiality. When you don't rebuke, you're showing partiality. And you say, well, yeah, but... No, no but. Truth is truth. Sin is sin. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share. Share responsibility. Share guilt for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. Again, this is that idea of washing your hands. And um, if if you put a man in the pulpit too soon, he's not ready. You're going to blow up a church and it's on you. Why'd you why'd you ordain him so soon? All right. Anyway, those things, uh, God takes them all seriously. He takes them all very seriously related to that. So truth versus lies. All right. Um, let me just tell you, it's, uh, it's, it's been an interesting week and the conflict is something else. I appreciate your prayers. And in the things, if you have a question, ask. All right? If something's been bugging you, ask. If it's been bugging you since 2010, ask. I got the same email today I had eight years ago. got the same phone number today I had eight years ago. Ask. And if I insulted you in 2018, ask me about it. Sometime prior to 2026. Okay? Anytime. Anytime. And if if uh if I'm teaching something that's not in the Bible, you're supposed to be Berean. You're supposed to be noble-minded. Search the scriptures, see if these things are so. And then come ask me about it. Say, Pastor, I don't think this is so. You know, whatever it is, you know. <laughs> okay. No, that's not so, and I didn't teach that. When did I teach that? I didn't teach that. Okay? And if, you, if, if you're going to insist that I taught it, if you're going to insist that, uh, that I have a theological view, well, that's pretty easy to sort out, okay? Because here's, here's the website. Here's whatever, okay? Here's 44 hours of teaching on a chapter you say I taught wrong. So listen to it. And my deacons will listen to it. My fellow elders will listen to it. I'll listen to it, Okay? Here's what I said. Here's what the Bible says. Anyway. The, uh, back to Proverbs then. Uh, let's look at our next verse. We got uh, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence. His children will have refuge. And so it's interesting. We've got, you want to turn your house into a fortress? The fear of the Lord turns a home into a fortress of refuge. The fear of the Lord turns a home into a fortress of refuge. And of course you do. You want to protect your wife, you want to protect your children. Start with the fear of the Lord. Start with the Word of God. Start with Scripture. Start with a high view of Scripture. 
And of course, there's other things. There's, you know, guns. <laughs> there's burglar alarms. There's, uh, you know, um, safety issues in the home. You don't want exposed wires. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's earthly things. We get that. Okay? But um, start with doctrine. Start with the Word of God. Start with the fear of the Lord as the attitude. The fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. Start there. Start with a high view of Scripture. I'm loving what we, we just started the bibliology portion of, of Geisler at 7.30 on Sunday nights. And the, the bibliology portion is amazing to me. It's the second half of volume one on bibliology. Let's get a high view of Scripture. God wrote the Bible. It's not just human legends that we just gradually com- compiled together over time, blah, blah, blah. The dumb insanity of what the God-haters tell us. Why are we letting the God-haters tell us what our Bible is? They're wrong. They're telling lies. Let's let the Bible tell us what the Bible is. Let's let Jesus tell us what the Bible is. He walked this earth and he had a lot to say about the Bible. And so let's listen to what Jesus says about the Bible. And let's have a high view of Scripture. Let's hold it in high regard. He has elevated his word in accordance with his very name. So he holds it in high regard. We should hold it in high regard. And so uh, we see it. As it says here, um, in the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence. His children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. See? And when, when the kids are small, of course, you can spank them. When they're, when they're small and spankable, it's easy. Okay? When they're large and unspankable. When they're adults and on their own. When they're making choices you're not pleased with and God's not pleased with, that's tough. Okay? And it's heartbreaking. And your heart breaks, and you know, mom and dad heart breaks, grandparents break, uh, your heart breaks, because guess what? God's heart, you think he's enjoying this either? Okay? And so um, you can't always follow them around, you can't always make the choices for them. But if you instill within them that fear of the Lord. Train up a child in the way he should go when he is old. You know, as something he can't run away from. You can run away from home. You can run away for a, for a season. You can get on a ship bound for Tarshish. <laughs> but what's God going to do? Okay, Parents can't always chase him, but God's there. Because God was on the ship and God was in the whale and God's, in the, God's even in Tarshish. If he, if he would have let Jonah get so far, God's still there. So however far he gets and however, wherever he puts the brakes on him and whenever he, the overruling grace of God is powerful. And so whatever distance that child gets out there, when he is old he will not depart from it. There is still a deposit of truth in that soul and, and Scripture cannot be broken. And so it's there. All right. Um, there's more. I think we'll, uh, we'll save this. Well, we've got, we got time. We've got seven minutes still. Let's look at uh, chapter 18. But I hope we have this high view of Scripture. Chapter 18 and verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. Okay, you want a safe room in your house? How about a safe room in your soul? How about a, a, a spiritual application? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Paul used it. Paul used it a lot. He said, I'm determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What's he doing there? He's naming the name of the Lord. 
You know, I've, I've got a big test going on right now. How do I handle it? Well, stop right now and say, you know what? I'm saved by grace in, in Jesus Christ. I am in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And so you start to cycle the verses. You start to cycle the doctrine. You start to, you enter into your tower. You enter into your fortress. You say, guess what? I'm in Christ. And so all these other things are coming in. Who cares? What, what can man do unto me? So the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. All right. The, where a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own imagination. <laughs> well, because hey, my money can bail me out of whatever. I'm insured. I'm diversified. I'm rich. I can, you know, buy my way out of whatever. You think so, huh? <laughs> That's your own imagination. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Anyway, we'll deal with that in chapter 18. How about Psalm 14 in verse 6? Psalms. And Psalm 14 has a parallel. A couple of these psalms are nearly identical. Uh, But Psalm 14, this is the one where a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They've committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. And this is our go-to passage for total depravity. This is our text for the, the fallen nature of man. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Nope. <laughs> they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. All of Adamic humanity is condemned in Adam. In Adam all die. And if there was anyone that could provide redemption and salvation for uh, anyone else, okay, Doug? Um then he wouldn't have had to send a son, right? He looked around. Is there anybody else who can? Is there anybody else who can? Nope. Oh, well, I guess I got to do it. So he sends his son to go and do what no one else could do. All right. Uh, The Lord has looked down. I I read that. Verse 4. Do all the workers of wickedness not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great dread for God is with the righteous generation. And so he's a refuge. Verse 6, you would put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but the Lord is his refuge. That's the verse I was headed for. All right, verse 6. Um, there's more. 46 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. You know, how much trouble are you in right now? Have the heavens and earth exploded in fire yet? And then guess what? God's still faithful. Um, He is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. You know what time that is? Now, yeah, all the time, all day, every day. There's never a time that He's not a refuge. There's never a time that we don't call upon Him. There's never a time that we don't. All right. 
So, uh, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, there's more. Psalm 46 is a marvelous psalm. How about Psalm 61? Hear my cry, O God, give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So we think in terms of time, is there ever a time he's not available? He is an ever-present help in time of need. So there's never a bad time. You never catch God on a bad day. You never go to him in prayer and say, God, I need help. And he goes, oh, God, I wish you could have called me yesterday. I'm, I'm kind of busy right now. Okay, God will never, there's never a bad time for God. And there's never a place so we had in Psalm 46, it was more of a time thing. Here in Psalm 61, it's more of a place thing. The ends of the earth, no matter where you go, God's still there. He's good. He's got you. Okay? Even if it's whatever. Okay? Bellingham is about as far as you can get and stay in the country, but, you know, God's there too. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Is he ever going to say no to that? Is he ever going to say, oh, sorry, no room? Okay, there's always room. Okay, well, there's more, but uh, we'll, we'll have to pick up here next week with Psalm 91 and Hebrews 6. Appreciate your prayers. If there's anything I said this morning that was confusing, just ignore it. And uh, But uh, no, there is a lot of conflict going on, and so pray for that, and pray for um, all of us, all of our brothers and sisters, and uh, every test, and the multiplied testing. How about that? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the blessings of uh, and the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Father, how easy is it to teach the Word of God. It says what it says. There you go. And uh, Father, thank you for being faithful. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.